welcome to today's edition of Take a Leap and Transform, a neo-diversity journey podcast where entrepreneurs, employees, business owners, and individuals can become aware and transform their mindset. Welcome back to Take a Leap and Transform, a neo-diversity journey. I'm your host, Joseph K. Muscat. Are you ready to take a leap with me? We often have trouble communicating effectively, and this is determined how we lead. If we lead at all, in order to communicate effectively, we must overcome doubt, know ourselves, and have purposeful intent. To help us develop these qualities, I welcome Cornelia Rabel of Craftport Coaching. Cornelia spent almost 20 years in the male-dominant steel industry. During that time, she was one of only two female steel traders in the world before moving to the helm of a Swiss steel company with an annual turnover of 250 million US. This time in the steel industry provided the foundations of the work she currently undertakes with high achieving individuals and organizations as an executive coach specializing in working with women who aspire to leadership roles. Using Neuro Linguistics Programming or NLP and Timeline Therapy techniques, Cornelia helps clients overcome imposter syndrome, learn to communicate effectively, deal with unconscious bias and the lack of appropriate role models. She holds a professional membership of the Association of the Neurologistic Programming, ANLP, and a qualified in NLP and timeline therapy. She is the fellow of the Institute of Directors, which is by invitation only for services of industries. She's also an incentive trainer. When networking, you are most likely to find her at an ice rink as she manages two age groups of junior ice hockey teams and is part of the Southeast manager team responsible for the National Junior Showcase programming. As an advocate for the diversity and inclusion, she's part of the Women's National Ice Hockey League, WNIHL program. Driving the change to realize the vision of the fu- for the future where a player's success is not an inability by society's attributes and values. She also runs a weekend language school with her husband, which means she does not have much free time, but she loves to travel and ski whenever possible. Welcome, Cornelia. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. So let's start off. Imposter syndrome. We hear this all the time and we face it in one form or another. So let's first define how does it fill us with doubt and when does it rear its unwanted head? Let's deal with the the, the second part of that question. First of all, it tends to hit us most when we're doing something different. So it could be that we were going into a new role at work. Um, We could be taking on more responsibilities. And that's the time when it will hit us hard it can feel different to different people. So um, for some people, it's nothing more than perhaps that really uncomfortable uh, butterflies in the stomach. Um, maybe they're, they're, they worry a lot before they're going to give a presentation, for example. Maybe they actually make themselves physically ill. Um, and it can be so bad that they are almost paralyzed to do anything. So if there is an opportunity for them to improve in their their career, they may not actually take that opportunity because they're so filled with doubt, worrying about the fact that 
they're, they're not capable, not able to do something when they are, in fact, able and capable, very much so, but they doubt themselves so much. Right. So basically what you're saying is, as you said from the very beginning, is that when we're doing something new, we start to feel that doubt of this is not for us or we can't do this. Yes. That, that, you know, I have to say that sounds familiar because it took me about three years to start doing this podcasting. And, you know, there was that doubt. Do I let myself out be so personal? Can I actually interview people and ask questions? It took a while for me to build the confidence to be able to do it. And then finally, you know, it came down to the point was let's just do it. However, I will say this. So I still feel it when I edit my podcasts. Yeah. And I quickly skip through my what I'm saying and go straight with what the interview is saying, because I feel like I'm not confident, you know, or smart enough to be saying or asking these questions. What you describe is, is fairly typical imposter syndrome, and um, it can be really uncomfortable. Um, when you struggle with it, you tend, if, you, if it's not very significant imposter syndrome, you tend to push it behind you 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 get on with things you'll you'll still do things it won't really stop you but it just makes the actual activity much more uncomfortable um, and full of self-doubt than it actually needs to be um, I suffered with imposter syndrome I, I still suffered with imposter syndrome uh, for many many years I didn't know what it was actually called until I started my own business and I heard somebody describe this and I I, I sat there realizing that that was what had affected me throughout my career in the steel industry. But it never stopped me, but it could have been so much easier had I actually known what it was called and known that I could speak to people and share experiences. And that would make me feel better knowing that actually it wasn't just me who overreacted to circumstances. It was something that happens to many, many, many people. Now, you mentioned during a prep talk, that you had isolated how imposter syndrome affects genders differently. Can you explain? Yes. So um, this is where it sometimes um, is viewed or imposter syndrome is viewed as being a female problem. Um, it's actually not. It's just the, the way that they are displayed in the different genders. So for women, when they struggle with imposter syndrome, they tend to um, become very risk averse. So they won't go forward for say a, a new role or a new position or stand up and speak in in meetings um they they become overly concerned with the, the risks involved in doing that so they they withdraw a little bit men on the other hand when they struggle with imposter syndrome they become uh, much more cavalier about things so they want to move forward quickly because they want to get away from that feeling uh, so they will push forward almost disregarding any risk that they that that surround them or disregards anything other than the fact they need to move forward now the problem with this is um in business that sort of um pushing forward has become wanted expected so when they push forward business sees that as a really good thing whereas the women who withdraw business sees that as a really bad thing but it's still imposter syndrome for both parties. And that is a problem. And if you think about it, for men, men have far less of a support system than women do. So men are far less likely to talk about the fact that they struggle with imposter syndrome. So they're far less likely to get help. 
And we know that imposter syndrome can lead to other issues. So it can lead to, well, stress for one thing, um, but also depression and further mental health issues. So it does need to be dealt with. Yeah, that's interesting in the sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can see you know, the men just kind of pushing through it. It's, it's, it's been ingrained in, in the, the culture that, that men just have to suck it up and just deal with it and move forward. And, you know, again, the, the somewhat of a gender bias, you know, women are, are, are withdrawn, you know, not able to handle it, and which is not really, you know, an accurate statement. It's just a different approach about how they view things. And I like the aspect that you said that, you know, it's, it's men kind of, which is kind of true, you know, go forward despite the risk, right? Hmm. That's interesting. And it's on, a, it's on a very base level as well. So it's not, there, there is no conscious thought involved thinking, well, I'm going to withdraw from this or I'm going to push forward. It's um, very basic. It's, it's subconscious. So we, we do what um, our subconscious is basically programmed to do. And, and that's the way that it, it tends to display in men and women. <laughs> So would you say then, Cornelia, that this is a defense mechanism, you know, the, the brain and body trying to protect itself from an uncomfortable or what is now being determined a dangerous work environment, you know, rather than, you know, um, a tiger jumping out, you know, from, from the desks to eat you, right? Our issue, if you like, um, with our subconscious is that everything stems back from those those times when we were having to be wary of those tigers jumping out on us. So our mind is programmed to help us in, in any way it can, but it still relates back to those times when it needed in order to be keep people safe to react to those things. So that's what causes us those, those feelings of imposter syndrome by our subconscious trying to protect us so it's it's coming from sort of the the right way if you like but it's not helping us in our modern life and there's a real big difference between speaking up in a meeting and having a saber-toothed tiger jump out on you but our subconscious doesn't really know the difference so we have to consciously train our subconscious into seeing that these things are actually okay you know we're, we're not it's not life life-threatening it's not going to to hurt us it's going to feel uncomfortable for a little while and then we can carry on and the more we stretch ourselves the I was going to say easier but sometimes it's not actually any easier it's it's some sometimes you have to do it again and again and again uh, and it just feels like it will never end but um, we can see that if we do keep moving forward we we have that success and we may feel that we don't um, we're not um, good enough to actually get that, um, that we feel that we are a fraud, that we are just there because we're, we're lucky. But the more we do this, the more we can continue to move forward and knowing that it is something that's in our subconscious, for me at least, makes it easier for me to, 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 to carry on and just think, okay, I, I see these these feelings that my my subconscious is bringing up for me but i'm just going to carry on with it anyway yeah i i agree with everything you said there you know especially 
again, coming back to, to my experience with the podcast, I found that the more and more I've done it, the more, the more confident I've gotten at it, the more better I've gotten at it. And the, the lesser the imposter syndrome is up until it comes editing time, because then I have to hear myself again. <laughs> but I'm going to push back a little bit here because <clears throat> you're, you're right to say that the, you know, the danger level per se in regards to being eaten alive by a pack of tigers isn't there anymore. But still, I would argue that the danger level is still there, but in a different completely format, which is, you know, your employer, your peers are going to think less of you if you, if you, if you think that you're saying something of lesser quality or that you might get demoted or, or get fired because what you've said or what you've put out there uh, in what you're doing you know, to, to try to push through forward through that imposter syndrome could have, again, a potential negative effect. So again, that imposter syndrome is kind of protecting you, you know, from the what if, but you won't know the what if until you actually do it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um, and this is why it's important to talk about having imposter syndrome. Um, and, you know, I know that there are employers out there that there is no way you would ever mention this type of thing to them because immediately you would have a target on your back and you, you know that you would struggle further. But there's all, we're always surrounded by people that do want us to do well. Um, and maybe that's just, just friends that are outside the, 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 the role that you're doing. Just having that opportunity to speak to somebody and almost compare, compare notes, if you, if you like, um, can help you move forward. And I, and I get what you say that... Um, saying the wrong thing and it's very much the same for me on this podcast you know I'm almost standing next to myself hearing myself speaking and thinking well I could have put that more succinctly I could have put that better um, but the thing is that there has to come a time where we just get on with it um, because if we don't we'll never do anything and we can miss out on so many things and there are many different ways that we can um, many techniques that we can employ to help us with imposter syndrome. And these are the things that I would encourage people to look at because it's not comfortable if you're living your life thinking, well, if I say this, then what are people going to think? Um, and the, the other th thing is that so many people around us will be thinking exactly the same thing as well. So it's not just us thinking, well, actually, if I speak up in a meeting, and I say this, people are going to think that um, you know, I, I'm stupid. I should know better than that. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Most of the time, people are around us thinking exactly the same thing. So they're also concerned about speaking up. You know, how often do you have in a meeting absolute silence, no, no questions whatsoever or no comments whatsoever? And then one person will, will speak up and either ask that supposed stupid question and everybody else will, will say, oh, yes, I was just thinking that. You know, I wondered, wondered that. And everything then starts afterwards. It takes that one person to be brave and just stand up and, and have that conversation, that comment. So I would say that there are lots of people around us. So just employ the techniques that you, you can for helping with imposter syndrome. And that's things like looking back on your past career, your past business, and seeing all of the times you've had success. 
And because I always say to people, do write 15 down. And so many times people say to me, but I, I don't have 15 successes in my life. Guarantee that once people start writing those successes down, they'll, they'll get to sort of three or four and then it will just flow and they'll easily get 15. And that's something that you can keep and look back on when you're feeling that you are not um, in the right room, that uh, you, you shouldn't be where you are, that you're a fraud. Uh, and that helps to keep you pushing forward to do what you want to do. It's really great advice. And you're not alone in the aspect of standing beside yourself saying, I could have asked that better, or what were you thinking? I'm, I'm going through that <laughs> every podcast. Um, so let's look at this then, because you've really given a lot of good advice and, and, and you've really outlined the, the dilemma with imposter syndrome. Now, you've tapped on one part of this question, um, but let's look at the first part of the question and focus on that, which is how does imposter syndrome develop into improper communication? So imposter syndrome can often stop us from communicating properly. Now, I'll give you an example. When I was in the steel industry, when I was first starting off and um, I was frequently the only woman in the room but in those early days many of the men were paid far more than I was and so then I knew that I needed to be able to negotiate and believe me when I when I say to you in those those times um, I could not negotiate at all um, and I found it incredibly fearful to think of having to go in and basically say why I should be paid more and I knew that I should be paid more because I knew that I was good at my job so I didn't have that problem but it was how to communicate that and I found that very difficult because and I think some of your listeners may actually recognize this when you when something's important and you're you're wanting to to speak effectively and communicate your point of view effectively, I would get a little bit almost breathless and um, my voice would go up a couple of pitches and I couldn't, I would speak very, very quickly and nobody could understand what I was saying. And I needed to be able to just calm down and get myself in, in control so that I could communicate. And that was where I discovered NLP. That was my very first experience with NLP. And I taught myself a technique to basically build my confidence so that I could almost ground myself so that I could communicate more effectively. So, yeah, that sounds very familiar, frankly, what you just pointed out there and described. Now, we've touched upon a, quite a few solutions to, to um, imposter syndrome, you know, having a group of people or person that you can talk to, um, calming yourself down, giving yourself control and pushing forward. So let's take it from the aspect of pushing forward then. What, you know, again, pushing forwards, you know, it's easy to say. So what kind of technique um, can you recommend to overcome and to be able to push forward in regards to imposter syndrome? I've mentioned it already, but there is a lot to be said for talking to others about it. Because when you realise that you're not alone, 
you can even discuss with other people strategies around what you can do. One of the, the I have a little exercise which I, I set people, which is to ask people that they trust and that are close to them. Uh, but it, the trust bit is the really important bit. How do they see them? Because we can go through life struggling with the imposter syndrome, feeling like a fraud, and not realise how others view us as we're going through life. Um, I'm told I'm a little bit scary at times um, because I, particularly if I'm in motion with trying to make things happen, I get very, um, very factual, very um, sort of quite, uh, now I've lost how, how to actually describe this, but I will be very focused on the, the end goal. So therefore, I will move through things very quickly, which has a tendency to, to scare other people. Um, now, I never really realised this because as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm just me. Um, and I didn't see myself particularly as a strong person. But when people were feeding back to me about how they saw me, I was quite, quite shocked. So that's a really good exercise to do because it will definitely change your perspective of, of yourself and see how others see you. Um, there are many other techniques. I mean, that there are NLP techniques that, that I've described al already. Um, the, the particular one I was talking about for aiding communication is actually around uh, confidence. It's called the circle of excellence. Uh, your, your listeners can, can look it up. Um, and I use that to, I use that frequently. You know, I, I used it before I came on the, this, this call today. Um, whenever it, it's important that I communicate better and I need to just ground myself before I start doing something, it's one I go to. And because I have practiced it so many times, and for me, it's connected to music as well to make it even stronger. Um, I only need to think in my head of a couple of bars of the music and then that's it. I, I'm, I'm ready. So I can do that just as I'm going on stage to speak and, and I'm ready to talk. Um, that's probably the, the, the main things that I would, would recommend. So the, you know, the, the aspect of NLP, we, you know, I, I can relate to you to that because as you know, I'm a fellow uh, NLP practitioner and what you're describing there is anchoring yourself and through the anchoring, recalling, you know, certain aspects that you can be able to, to, pull on to 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 set the right the right mindset and and that actually leads into to the next part of this podcast which is you know something that you and i both agree upon is that you need to develop the the proper mindset to be able to communicate properly and overcome imposter syndrome and prior to this podcast we had talked about uh behavior styles in particular five of them so can you kindly elaborate on those behavioural styles? Okay, certainly. Um, so a lot of the, the work with behavioural styles that I've done has been through uh, the training that I did with Ascentive. And um, the way that they approach behavioural styles is on uh, is specifically for networking. But um, there are 
there's, there's lots of things on the internet that you can you can look at that will give you more information about the different behavioral styles and they're, they're called different things as well so there's the there's behavioral styles where you are very people oriented and very task oriented um so for for um some of them if you think about disc for example uh, that shows how you behave. Uh, sometimes the labels help, sometimes the labels don't help. Um, and it's about taking the, the information that you can find out from them to then use to your advantage. And it's about, as you said, knowing yourself. It's knowing yourself so that you can properly communicate with others, because that's what it's all about. Um, it always interests me to find out that communication isn't so much about what you are saying and doing, but it's about how others receive that communication from you. And that can be why we get that mismatch. We think we're saying something um, in, in one way, but it's perceived as something completely different. So I have to be very careful because um, I'm actually quite a, quite, quite a split in behavioural styles, in actual fact. Uh, I'm completely opposite. And I can understand this because uh, one of it is, so the, the dominant style in DISC, um, in Ascentive, they call that go-getter, which I think is quite a nice explanation, description of it. And the other side is more sort of the coaching side of things. Um, and obviously, that's what I do at the moment. So to put that into, into context, the, the D, the dominance, the go-getter, is very um, goal-oriented. They're going to do things. They know what they want to do. They always have a, a goal in mind. I need to be careful of that because if I'm sending you a message, for example, my normal tendency would be just to fire off whatever it is that I'm wanting to know or wanting to tell you. So it would be sort of, Joseph, oh, we meet at 8 a.m. That's it. But that, you may read that and think, wow, isn't she rude? And I would never mean that. I would never mean to be rude. So I have to sometimes just dial that back a little bit because I use that behavioural style very much in the steel industry. I had to. I would not have survived and I wouldn't have done as well as I did had I not been that style of, of uh, behaving. So I now check myself a little bit and think about who I'm speaking to and what type of style that they are likely to be so that I can address them in the way that they would like to be addressed and communicated with. So I know to say, Hi, Joseph, how are you? Did you have a really good weekend? Um, are we meeting at 8am tomorrow or, or, or was it something else? Kind regards, Cornelia. That would be better received by you. I will get the information that I need, which is good for me. So we need to be aware of this. Sometimes it's quite obvious what styles people are. Sometimes it's not quite as obvious. So we have to have a, a think about it. Um, and by having that awareness that this is what we are and this is what other people are, 
it's so much easier to communicate and get the right level of communication. And the other the other styles you have, I've already mentioned sort of the the, the more nurturing style for for the, for the coaching, but then you have much more of um, people that love to network. It's the big thing for them. Um, they're they're very excitable. They're very happy people. Uh, they're the loud group in the corner of of any room if you if you go out networking face to face. And then you have their their the group that's opposite to to them who are much more again task oriented rather than people oriented, and um, they're often at the periphery of the of the room, but they're the quiet ones, perhaps with their with their phones, and they're, they're not really wanting to engage. Um, it's a bit painful for them to engage. But get to know them again. It's it's about knowing how to communicate so you can better understand others and you can build relationships with them. And it's all about building the, the rapport. That is so true, Cornelia. Because again, that's something that I've written about and talked about on various podcasts. You know, in particular, I call it "Are you understood?" You know, we often. We often communicate, as you said, and we assume that the other person at the other end has understood us. And we actually don't take the time to ensure that they have understood what we're communicating. And it completely relates to exactly what you're talking about, which is the behavior styles, you know, the behavior styles of the communicator and the, the behavior styles of the audience that you're, you're who is receiving your communication to. Um, and I think you're right. It's, not that I think you're right. You, I, I completely agree that we never take that into account about how we're communicating and who we're communicating to and how they're receiving it. And, and it, it leads into, you know, a lot of misunderstandings, miscommunications. It also leads into the fact of interpretation, you know, because you know, the, the person receiving it's going to be like, okay, I think this is what they want. And, and they weren't clear about it. And that also goes back to the other end as well, which is the flip side, which is the person receiving it may try to ask questions. And the person communicating doesn't want to hear the questions because in their minds, they have communicated appropriately. So it's all clear as daisy when in actuality, it's not because if they were, it was, then that person wouldn't be asking questions. And then, of course, it, that develops this resistance of I'm not going to ask questions anymore because the person is always resistant. So that comes back to interpretation. And then when you get to the, the end of the task, the person who's assigned the task or communicates is going to be upset because this wasn't exactly what they wanted or not at all. Exactly. And, and there's, there's other there's another aspect of that as well. So with. Um, with NLP, if you, if you think about the uh, representative systems, um, I, I often think of this as uh, happening in many, many meetings. And I can think of this in, in my life happening in, in meetings. So I am what you'd call auditory digital, um, which means that I find it very difficult to speak up very quickly in um, meetings because I need to ponder over what's being discussed and I need time to, to process that. And I actually had a client whose manager was so angry with her because she would never 
interjecting meetings. She would never offer an opinion, despite the fact she was really expert at what she was doing. And he was quite angry with, with her because he knew that she could add an awful lot to the meeting. And um, he saw that as you know, her holding back. Once she was able to, she didn't know that at the time, but um, she was also highly auditory digital. And once she understood that and she understood that she needed a bit more time to process. So one of the easiest ways to deal with that was actually if her manager could give an agenda for the meeting. So she had at least an idea of, of where, what things were going to be discussed that day. So she was then more ready to, she'd already had the process in time, so she was more ready to actually interject in the meeting, give her opinion, and everybody was far less frustrated with one another because of that uh, possibility. So it's about being, uh, understanding yourself and being able to express that to, to others and others accept that you may not be just like them. That's really great advice to give the agenda ahead of time. And most people in meetings just don't do that. They just, you know, walk in and, and, and expect everybody to participate without having an opportunity to prep, which is, you know, you've hit on two particular things here, which now relates, I mean, everything has related to, to, to people, but neurodiversity in particular. Um, but one, the ability to have an agenda ahead of time to be able to prep for an interview or prep for, excuse me, a, a particular meeting. Uh, a lot of neodiverse indiv people, individuals, talents are unable to, to produce on the spot without having that foregone knowledge. Um, and it's, it, it, and as you said, it, it, it's, gets misinterpreted that they're incapable or they are capable, but no one understands why. And you've also hit on the aspect, uh, I wasn't familiar with auditory or digital. Um, that's a nice little term because I'm definitely auditory or digital as well. And I talk about it, but I talk about it without knowing the term. <laughs> but I, 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 it's exactly what you said. I, I, I say to, you know, that you have to take into account in regards to either processing speed or executive function or working memory, um, which is again, all cognitive function, which is you need to give people time to receive the information. You need to give people time to be able to process the information. And then you need to give people time to be able to respond or act on that information. But too often we don't allow people that time. We just expect, here's the question, where's the answer? Within the same split second that we've given the, the question. Yeah. And, and then of course, that gets compounded when you walk into a meeting and you don't have an agenda to prepare for, to know what you can, but where you can input your two cents at the appropriate time. That's really interesting. Auditory digital. I'll have to remember that one. So, so just, just to explain that very quickly to, to uh, your, your listeners. So auditory digital is basically when, if you think about um, a movie playing in your mind, and um, you have the director's commentary on that movie. That's what it's like being auditory digital. You have that constant inner voice making comments on everything that's, that's going around, which means that that uh, 
you need more time to actually process because you have to not only run the movie, but you have to have the director's commentary that you you then need to sort of act on. So that's why it takes a little bit longer. And going down to um, having an agenda, I mean, not only is that helpful for a vast majority of people, but it's more efficient for the business itself to actually produce an agenda. So you don't just sit there and talk about rubbish and not achieve anything. So I'm a gr- in great favour of, of having an agenda to any meeting that you actually have. That's a very fantastic um, analogy that you painted there. And and it, it also relates to to our NLP training as well, because we, we, we talk about something very similar in that regards. So, all right, we've talked about imposter decision. We've talked about behavioural styles. And, we've, and that all now is related and compounded into communication. So now this brings us into the aspect of leading with intent and with the proper intentions. So let's first define what that means and why leading with intent is important. Okay, so I see those two things as actually slightly separate. So uh, intent-based leadership is something that was defined by um, David Marquette. That's right. Yeah, David Marquette. Now, he was a commander of a nuclear submarine. Uh, he, he's written a book about it. So I would uh, urge you to go and have a look. It's an interesting read. And there's also a, a little snippet on YouTube. I'll, I'll send you the link, Joseph, um, that you can perhaps share out as well. Um, it just gives you an overview of, of uh, what it is uh, so that you can see it. Um and it's all, it's all about his realization that one point of, of of command just wasn't efficient, and actually on the submarine it was it was dangerous. Um, and as he was moving forward, he realized that um, by giving to the people that he was working with the vision or his vision of how things should be done, they were responsible of basically getting to that point. Um, they did not have to come to him each time just to say, you know, shall I do this? Now, I realised that I actually led uh, by intent when I was in the seal industry. I, you know, I'd never heard of it by that point, I, so I didn't know that it was called that. But I hate micromanaging. Uh, I hate being micromanaged as well. So uh, for me, I loved to be able to create that big vision and the goals of where I wanted us to go as, as a business and then hopefully inspire others to do the work to get us there. Um, and that for me was important because it's, it wasn't just me as a leader pushing everything through. It was all of us going together, um, making wonderful things happen, um, making money for the business, making money for ourselves. And um, making sure that the people that I was working with were knew that they were they were valued, they that they knew that they were important to the business, that it wasn't just one person that was that was doing everything, that the success was our responsibility. Uh, we all had to work for the same uh, success, and um, yeah, for, for me that was how I wanted to lead because that felt the right way. And just a, an interesting little snippet is that, um, so my, my husband is Swedish 
Um, so we we speak Swedish as well as English in the family. My son's bilingual. And um, the very literal translation of uh, uh, chief um, operating officer in Swedish translates back into English as a make it happen director. Now, I loved that because that for me was what it was all about, just making things happen and help using the people around me to do that for the for the business. I like that last bit, making it happen director. It's a very, very direct translation. <laughs> yes, very, it is very, very literal. Um, I, yeah, I, I, so, 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 so what you're saying then is you're basically, it isn't a pyramid leadership. You are dividing the responsibilities equally and everybody has a particular leadership role and they own that responsibility. And by doing that, then they understand that it isn't his or her success. It's our success. Absolutely. And it, that allows such creativity from everyone. It's not just the, the, the leader that has to be creative and work out how you're going to, 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 make things happen it's everybody's responsibility so they become much more invested in the whole process interesting interesting it creates more opportunity for creativity and more investment that is really a very key aspect there that you've said there okay so then now that we have a definition and understanding of what leading uh, with intent is let's go back to communication then how does leading with intent help us become more effective communicators? In a very basic way, you know, if you're leading with intent, you need to communicate effectively. If you can't communicate, then you're not going to be able to give across your vision to the people that you're working with. Um, and so much lies with the communication because you, you need that, well, perhaps looking at also psychological safety. Um, if if you're the, the people that you're working with that you're leading aren't able, don't feel safe in speaking up about things and issues um, and possibilities to make things better, then you're never going to get anywhere. Um, if you can't communicate effectively, uh, then how can you um, help everybody else understand? what they can do to get the business to, to where you're wanting it to go. So much lies on communication um, and making things happen through that communication because that's the way we instill and inspire um, the others around us. That's very true. And it's interesting in the aspect that what you said there, it creates a safe environment. I think, you know, when you're leading with intent and you give everyone the equal responsibilities and take ownership of that, it creates a more safer environment where they can now be able to speak up because they own that responsibility and be able to share their thoughts, their ideas and their creativity. Um, and I think creativity, again, is something is very important because it's so, so undervalued, even though it's so wanted. 
um, and having a leading with a tent and the proper environment to create and hone that creativity makes that all possible. So, so how does so that's really interesting because again, everything that you said there gets the team to buy in to the concept and vision that is being properly communicated. Um, and that also, you know, again, bleeding with a tent helps. I, th I think if we look at it, I think you would agree, it helps overcome the imposter syndrome. Yes. And also by dividing the leadership <clears throat> and the equal responsibilities, you as a leader are now required to get to know your team, which then means that you are required to understand their, their, their behavior styles, their personalities, to be able to know who you can give what kind of responsibility to and what kind of leadership role you can give them to, to be able to take ownership and to be able to communicate more effectively. Exactly. Interesting. That's really interesting. So, all right, we've touched on three significant areas here, and I now want to put the focus on you. You know, as we all know, you are a former CEO and you now coach women in business. Can you tell us how you assist female professionals? Indeed. Um, it, fortunately for me, it's incredibly varied, uh, which I absolutely adore. So there are some women that work with me because I've been a CEO and because I've been in, in control of a significant business. So that's sort of on the business side of things. Lots of the work that I do is around imposter syndrome and confidence, communication, um, and excellence is a really big word for me. I want to help people be excellent. So for those, it will be a mixture of NLP um, and working out how best to fit into that male-dominated uh, area. And that's based on part of my experience as well, things that I found worked for me, uh, things that I can suggest that will work for them. I often talk about helping women go from invisible to invincible. Um, and it's a, it's a process because um, so many women want to get into leadership roles, but it can be a fight to actually do it. And, and this is why I do what I do, because for me, yes, I was successful, but it was a real fight at times to actually push myself forward, which wasn't really my nature at the time. I had to be much more, um, much stronger than I'd ever thought that I could possibly be. And I realised through some incidents that actually happened fairly early on in my career, I only realised their significance later, where I had um, a, a male trader sort of shouting and screaming at me, and it was devastating. And I realised that I was really fortunate because I actually had my husband who was a cheerleader for me. But it would have been so much better if I'd had somebody that had a real understanding of, of, of the business and what it felt like to me. And that's probably what it all comes down to with the women that I work with. I know what it feels like. I know what those um, 
microaggressions feel like, you know, those little things that niggle at you every single day when, when men will say, oh, you know, make us the tea and those sort of things. And I got that when I was CEO as well. They would ask me to make the tea um, because they would assume that it was one of the other men that was actually the CEO. And these things, I mean, they're microaggressions. They build up over time. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be passed over um, responsibility and that given to, to men. So I know what it feels like. And I have the tools to help the women that I work with to find their place in the business and to make it work for them, to make things happen for them. That's fantastic. And again, coming from your experience, you have a lot to add value and to help. And I, I, I like that, that one little phrase there, helping women transition from being invisible to invincible. And, and especially in a male dominant world, that is so crucial and a, a very important skill. And I think as well, you know, you're coming from, again, as you said, a perspective of you've lived it. So you, because you've lived it, you're, you can be their cheerleader and at the same time coach them on how to achieve that success. So how can people find you then? It's actually really easy. If you search for Cornelia Raubel, you're going to get to me because I'm the only Cornelia Raubel in the entire world. So if you're talking about imposter syndrome, and um, you know that's a good one for it. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, my website is www.craftport.com. Um, and I'm always open for conversations. Uh, you know, I, I love to talk to people. So um, come, let's have a, a virtual fika which is the, the Swedish version of coffee and cake. Thank you, Cornelia, for your wonderful insight. I encourage you to reach out to Cornelia, especially for our female audience who is ready to become empowered. As well, I will always post our guests' information in the show notes, so you'll be able to find all that information Cornelia has provided, such as her website and her LinkedIn page, to be able to connect with her. As I take this podcast further, I'm looking for ways I can engage with you to create more amazing content. It's because of this, I've created a Patreon page where you can comment with me more directly with several options, including where you can watch the full video of past and current interviews. You can also find me on my social media pages and my groups. I encourage you to join my groups on either LinkedIn or Facebook. I post the links in the show notes. Till next time, take a leap and transform.